So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, right now we pray in the name of Jesus, that name that is above every name, that we would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. Spirit, we ask you to fill us, to influence us, to control us. We ask that the Word of God might come alive. We ask that when we look into the depths of this book, that we would know that it is a living Word of God. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It does indeed divide that, that, that area, that division between the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit, revealing great and deep things. Father, we know that there is no good thing that you have withheld from them that walk uprightly, and we pray, God, that our heart might be right with you in this moment. Right now, sway and bend and influence us that the kingdom of God might indeed come in our midst. That we might not be normal, average Christians, Father, we would be supernatural creatures of the living God. That we would flow in the power of the Spirit of God. That we would change the worlds that we live in. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you will take your Bibles, we're going to look, uh, first of all, in Exodus chapter 13. For those of you who are a bit new with the Bible, it's pretty early in the, the whole book of the Bible itself. We go Genesis, Exodus. So it shouldn't be too hard to find. When you find Exodus, would you just say, I've got it? That's, that's most of you, right? All right, Exodus chapter 13. Let me set up what's going on before we actually begin reading in verse 17. Israel is in Egypt. They've been in Egypt for over 400 years serving as slaves. Their life is really miserable in so many ways. They're separated from home. Most of them don't even know what home is like. They've been gone so long. And they're, they're really reduced to this menial slavery kind of activity. And in that process, they, become, they begin to think like a slave. They begin to lower the value of who they are as a person. Much like people living in our day, when we begin to take for granted what people think about us or what we think they're thinking about us. And we live out our life in this slave mentality, not knowing that we are sons and daughters of the living God. That God wants to do something more in us and through us than he's currently doing. So all of a sudden, God brings this guy Moses to the forefront. And as Moses comes in before Pharaoh, he says, let my people go, and Pharaoh refuses, and there comes a plague upon the land. Finally, after the 10th plague, the Egyptians and Pharaoh have had all they can take, and they say, you get out of town, we don't even care anymore. So this is that little space between he's let them go and before they cross the Red Sea. So let's look at verse 17 and see what the Scripture has to say. Then it came about, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and they return to Egypt. Now, it's really important when you read the Scripture, when someone reads Scripture to you or with you, that you use a pen and you underline key thoughts that come to mind. For example, if you'll notice here, it says, God did not lead them by the way of the sea or the way of the Philistines. God purposely took them on the long route. Had they taken the short route, they were only 11.9 miles to, from Kadesh Bardia into the promised land. 
Remember, they wandered 40 years in the wilderness. They were only 11 miles away. God had a reason. The other thing is, had they taken that coastal road that was the way of the Philistines, they would have had a broad road. They would have had plenty of water and plenty of food. Sometimes you ask God, God, why are you taking me down this road when you could take me down that road? This road is much easier. Why are you taking me down that road? And God says, I have a plan and I have a purpose. He tells us here in Scripture, and we'll look a little deeper into it. He said, if they see the Philistines as warring people, they will grow fearful and they'll turn back and go to Egypt. God says, I don't want you turning back. I want you moving forward. And I know that I have to do some things in you to develop the heart of a warrior because right now you have the heart of a slave. I believe God wants to do something in your life, in my life, in all of our lives to turn us into the heart of a warrior instead of the heart of a slave. I don't know if you've noticed lately, but Christianity isn't exactly taking the land. We're not exactly winning the battle against the world and the flesh and the devil. And I believe it is because we've become soft, we've become weak with the Word of God and with the Spirit of Almighty God. God wants to raise up warriors. God wants to raise up people who have strong determination to further the kingdom of the living God. Verse 18, it says, So God led them. God led them, it says, the people around the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. Remember, chaos is going on in Egypt. The firstborn have all died in the land. There is mourning, there is sickness, there is disease on every hand, and the people are orderly walking out of the land of Egypt. Seems like a contradiction. It's the same contradiction that people note in your life when you go through tragedy and you're walking orderly before God and you're giving Him all the glory. They're going, what's going on in your life? I want some of that. I want some of that spirit of peace that comes in the middle of conflict. Verse 19, so Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under Solomon, saying, God will surely visit you and you will carry up my bones from, uh, from here. So they took their journey. Now, I'd underline the word journey because this is what really becomes the, the, the centerpiece of this sermon series we're going to start today called The Journey. It says they took their journey from Sukkoth and they camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. God got them close enough to see where they were going but didn't put them in the middle of it yet. See, that's what God does. God prepares you in advance. God will take you to the edge of difficulty and say, all right, get ready, we're going in. Get ready, the challenge is before you. And as you prepare your heart, I want you to seek me. Have you ever noticed when you find yourself on the edge that somehow your prayers get better? Somehow the Word of God becomes sweeter? Because you're on the edge. God took them to the very edge, it says, of the wilderness here. And the Lord went out before them by day in a pillar of cloud and led the way by night in a pillar of fire and gave them light as to go day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now here's how God led his people. There was this miracle pillar of cloud and fire. And when the cloud moved, the people moved. When the cloud stopped, the people stopped. You see, it was a picture of the Holy Spirit of God in you, and when you sense and when you feel the Spirit of God telling you stop, you stop. 
When you know he's telling you to go, you go. God will never contradict the Word of God, by the way. So as you follow the Spirit of God, make sure you know what the Word of God has to say in your life. See, sometimes we, we get so caught up in trying to get our needs met, you know, four ways to be happy. Now, you know, I'm sure that's somebody's sermon somewhere on planet Earth. But let me tell you something. God is not so concerned about our personal happiness as He is about our personal holiness. Personal holiness brings joy. And when we begin to walk in the power of God, we have all the joy we need. I want to tell you a story because really, really this sermon series is about our journey as well as the journey of every individual and the journey of God in Scripture. Stories are the purest form of communication. They endure in a way that facts and information do not. Have you ever noticed someone comes up and says, hey, I've got to tell you this story. Very few people come up, and if they do, you're not interested. Hey, I, I want to tell you a few facts. I want, hey, I want to tell you some information. And you, you might hear it, you might relate to it, but it doesn't stay with you. Kind of like jokes. Have you ever said, hey, I've got to tell you this joke. Okay, great. Where'd you hear it? I don't know. Just guy told me. I'm convinced, by the way, that jokes have no origin. They just, they just appear in the universe because I can't find anyone who said, I made up a joke, let me tell it to you. You ever notice that? Where that where'd you, who told it? I don't know. Nobody knows. They just appear. But, but you see, when you think about stories, what they do is they galvanize ideas and values in our hearts. They embed themselves in our lives in a way that facts and information do not. We love to hear and tell stories in our life. They somehow transcend boundaries and they open doors when, for communication you didn't have before. And they evoke emotion. I can hear someone, when they begin to get excited about a story, you can see it all over their face. They're, they seem to light up. Let me tell you a story. And whether it's a great story or not, if it's their story, it's exciting. And that's what means a lot. They create movements of people and ideas, and they, are really, they make up the fabric of who we are as a people. One of the great stories of God is a story of, uh, of Israel in the Exodus that we read today. It is a journey of what people who are led by God are called into Scripture, the wilderness. But in fact, I believe it should be called a journey into the miraculous because you know what happens the minute they get to the Red Sea? The miracles begin. Oh, you call it wilderness, but it's a, miracle, it's a miraculous journey. Day in and day out, what you find, God reveals His power. Guess what? It's a pattern that God wants in our life. Day in, day out, God wants to reveal power in your life and in my life. Our journey here at Influence Church is a journey into the miraculous. Day in and day out, God is revealing power and love and guidance to us. Our story really began on February 12, 2012, when God birthed Influence Church. More than 120 people had gathered in the home of Wayne and Cindy Patrick. I didn't know what was going to happen. We had no intention of starting a church that night. Been through a tough time in our life, and we stood up, and when I stood up to speak, everybody began to clap in just appreciation and love. It even brought a tear to this Dutchman's eye. If you see me crying, you know it's the real deal, or I've dropped something on my toe. By the way, some of you have noticed my little pinky, and it's black. Have you noticed that? Someone thinks it's a fashion statement, and I've painted my nail. It's not true. It's a lesson to all men in this crowd. I opened the car door for my wife, and I shut my finger on the car door. It hurt so bad, I could not praise God, nor could I cuss. 
I did what every grown man does. I stuck my pinky in my mouth as fast as I could, and I began to suck like a baby on that little pinky. I got in the car, Tammy said, what's wrong? I couldn't even talk. It hurt so bad. It hurt so bad it would have killed an average man. I somehow was able to endure, fight off the pain. And then have you ever noticed how there's always people with great advice? Oh, what'd you do to your finger? It slammed in the car door. Oh, you should stick a needle and relieve the pressure. I said, are you crazy? It already hurts. You think I'm going to stick a needle in it? You know, that's like that prayer. What is that prayer you pray at night as a child? You know, now, you know, now lay me down to sleep, stick a needle in my eye if I fail to sleep, or whatever that one goes. However that one goes, I don't know how that one works. This doesn't make any sense at all. But anyway, we're in this gathering there of, uh, at Wayne and Cindy Patrick's house, and it looked like something out of the New Testament. It really did. We expected about 20 or 30 people to show up, and 120 showed up. People stood outside listening through open doors. It was one of those scenes where you fully expected someone to take the tiles loose on the, on the ceiling and lower a paralytic down through the roof. Well, it was clear that we couldn't stay there. I got up and I said to my wife, surprise, well, tonight we're birthing a church. I looked over at her and she had a surprised look on her face. I said, I know, I didn't, God just moved in a miraculous way in my heart and just said, go do it. And I didn't know where to go from there. So we, uh, Brandon Jaffe offered, he said, my dad has a, has a warehouse down here. We can go in there. Some of you were there. So we just, uh, we didn't even announce it. We just said, well, get in touch with you. And we didn't even know how. We had no database. We didn't even know who was there, really. But we had a 5 p.m. service, and 30 minutes prior to the service, we were standing room only. We, had, we then put speakers outside and, and, uh, and set up 75 chairs to cover the overflow. The great thing was Congressman Rogan and his family were sitting out there, and I thought, it's a good time for a congressman to not get a good seat. <laughs> Jim, if you're here, I love you, brother, and you'll appreciate that, I know. But everyone sat outside for an hour and a half, but people kept coming. We created a traffic jam there on Savvy Ranch Road, Parkway. And so, to our surprise, we just said, hey, we're, uh, we're going to go ahead and have a 7 o'clock service. We hadn't planned on it. Come back, go to dinner, come back. To our surprise, people went to dinner and actually returned for a second unplanned service. Thanks to the efforts of Jeff Poland, who was somehow able to borrow sound equipment, and Craig Johnson, who was able to get video equipment, we had a borrowed sound equipment, a camera crew of, of five. We even had one of the camera operators named Cliff. Miracle! When you have a miracle working the camera, you know it's got to be good, right? Make even me look good. Well, clearly we couldn't stay in that place, and so uh, not knowing where we would meet the following week or that night, I actually coined the phrase, we are the gypsy church. We just kind of roll it up, put it on a wagon, and off we go to the next location. I thought it was kind of original until I found out. I just read this morning that uh, Saddleback Church was in 80 different locations in its 30-year history. didn't have its first permanent worship center until 1995. And I thought, well, we're on a good roll here for not having a permanent place. So the Gypsy Church announced we're going to be meeting next week, but we don't know where, and we're not really sure what time. We're just going to see what happens. We collected as many emails as we could. We waited on God to show us where to go next. We relied on Facebook as our primary tool to get the word out. At that service, one 88-year-old grandma sat right in front of one of these big speakers, and I went over, feeling bad. She was in front of the big speaker. I said, you know, are you going to be okay here? Oh, yeah, I don't hear that good. This is going to be great. <laughs> I like that attitude, amen? Well, she got so excited, her son emailed me that night and said uh, she's so excited because she has three Facebook friends and she's following you on Facebook and is anxious to get the word out. I love that. 
Well, God assembled in one week a staff that included a director of preschool ministries, director of children's ministries, uh, a marketing PR uh, person, a worship team, a, a, a prayer ministry team, all without a budget and a payroll, and Starbucks has graciously provided offices in various locations for our convenience. Someone said, you think you're going to need to get an office? I said, I got offices. They serve me coffee all day long. It's awesome. In the next several days, Bob Stewart suggested the El Rancho Charter School where you are today. If you turn around uh, or when you're leaving, you'll notice there's a coyote painted on the back wall. And I, as I thought about the, the coyote being the mascot for this school, it seemed appropriate that the Gypsy Church would have a coyote as its mascot. So it may very well be the official mascot ongoing of the Gypsy Church. Our first service just three weeks ago at El Rancho here was standing room only. Those who are accustomed to plush seating would discover folding chairs of various colors, designs, and quality. Some bent and some of uncertain origin. They increased the ingenuity the next week as, uh, through prayer and, and all kinds of planning. And you notice people were coming in with a Bible in one hand and a cushion in the other hand. They were going to solve the hard chair problem right away. Each week, we rely on God to supply what we need. We've been able to buy part of our sound system. We still have more of it to go. We, we're, we're buying chairs for kids. We're just, we, we really are going to need a trailer before it's all over. But the journey we are on is a journey together, a miraculous journey. Already we've seen God bring together a unique blend of people with talents and passion. Every step of the journey increases our bond and brings us closer to fully realizing God's plan for each one of us. And the thought occurred to me, I thought of this idea of a wilderness report. And this is what came to mind. You can be in the middle of a miracle and not know it. You can be in the middle of a miracle and not know it. I thought about the Jesus movement in the 1970s. Now somehow they were caught up in all of that and they, had no, and they knew it was good. They knew God was doing something marvelous. But it took historians, it took time for us to look back and see what God was really doing there in that place. And I believe we're caught up in a miracle. You know, if you think about it, the vision that you have before God, and God is working in a, in a pretty amazing way. He brings in a legion of angels to fight the battle on our behalf. In Hebrews it says that, that we are surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses, but then in the next couple of chapters it says, and we have ministering spirits who are there for the sake of the elect. I want you to look in your your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Just go back to the previous chapter. I want you to see what was happening here because this is important as we begin to unfold this message for you tonight. In verse 35, it says in chapter 12, Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. Now can you imagine? These slaves went up to the Egyptians and says, Give us your silver, give us your gold, and give us clothing. And they readily gave it to them. It says, And the Lord had given them um, the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them uh, what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. I looked at that and I said, God provided resources for the journey. God has resources for the journey. He's going to provide along the way as it's needed. The children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 6,000 men, 
uh, besides children. And notice verse 38, very interesting verse. You'll overlook it if you don't really take the time to think about it. It says, A mixed multitude went up also, and flocks and herds, and a great deal of livestock. You know who the mixed multitudes was? Egyptians. Egyptians traveled with them too. That explains, as you come down a little bit further, beginning in verse 43 of that chapter, why it tells you the stranger cannot take this, this Passover with you until they're integrated within because they don't understand. It doesn't mean anything to them. They came under the blood. They, they knew what it meant to be safe in Egypt, and now they would learn the covenant God, and they would travel with them throughout that journey. Along that journey they would take through the wilderness, guess what they would do? There would be those who would come alongside who would hear about the God of Israel. They would see the miracles of God, and they would come along with them. And there this host that began, some estimate, somewhere around 300,000 to 400,000 people traveling in the wilderness would increase in number as they traveled, and more and more people would see the miracles of God. And so it is with us. I wish I could tell you of all the divine appointments I've had where people stop me, I do not know, and say, hey, I hear you're starting a church, or can I come? When does it meet? I've never had that happen in my life. Not like that. I've initiated a lot, but I haven't had people stop me and ask me. We, we ate at BJ's Grill a few weeks ago, and four of the waitresses came last week. I don't understand why that works that way. God's just doing something. God is doing something in your life and in our life. So we understand something about this journey. I want you to know, first of all, it's not safe. <coughs> the journey we're on is not a safe journey. Remember back there in verse 17 of chapter 13, it said, He did not lead them the way of the Philistines. The coastal route was the best and the easiest, the shortest route. It was a trade route. Food and water would be available. But you see, there was something inside of them that had to go. Just like there's something inside of you that has to go if you're ever going to really understand the power of God. The culture and the habits of Egypt were ingrained in the hearts and the minds of the Israelite people. God could bring them out of Egypt in one night, but it would take years to get Egypt out of them. You can get saved in one day, in one instant, but it'll take a lifetime to get all the junk out of you. And that's that refining process whereby God is taking you and He is conforming you to the image of the invisible God. He is making you more like Jesus day in and day out as you listen to Him and allow Him to work. God uses delays to break those habits and those patterns and to train you in His way of thinking and His way of doing. Oh, there's a way that seems right unto man, but it's the way of death. Some of you wonder, how do I make a life-changing decision without hurting myself in the process? It's pretty simple, really. It's right in the Word of God. It is, what does the Bible say? What does wise counsel say? What does prayer say? And then also, what does good judgment calls make in a situation like this? That's the gut feeling you have inside of you. You know what I believe? I believe that gut feeling you have inside of you, which is almost always right. Have you ever noticed that? And sometimes we'll fight against it. You know what I think that is? I think that's resident of something that was in man before the fall. Because you see, it's in Christians and non-Christians. They have that gut feeling. And I think in Adam and in Eve, there was this resident ability to know what to do in certain situations. But as we fell away from God as man sinned, he lost the ability to access that properly. God sent the Spirit in order to activate that to an even greater way. 
You see, it's never safe to follow God. Not safe to leave your comfort zone, but what did you ever learn by staying comfortable? Nothing. Nobody ever learned anything by staying in a comfort zone except it's nice and I don't want to leave it. What new adventure was birthed by, comf by comfort? What new lands were discovered by comfort? What new ideas or experiences exist outside of the safe world that we know of that we can say that was significant? When someone has a unique experience, they can't wait to talk about it. They get all excited. They quit, can't quit talking about their story. Smith Wigglesworth put it like this, the power of God will take you out of your own plans and put you into the plan of God. Your plans really aren't that hot anyway. Mine have never been. I could get excited about them, and then God says there's a way that seems right unto man, but it's a way of death. Lean not on your own understanding, and all you ways acknowledge him, and he'll make straight your paths. You know, what you, you know what you discover on the journey? You discover who you are, and you discover who God is. And you've got to have both of those to really understand what it means to walk with God. You've got to know who you really are. You know you've got a little idea, but you somehow play that game outside that's a little bit different. You see, there's dangers on the journey, and the dangers is that you will lead versus be led. Did you follow what I said? You will lead versus be led. Another danger is you'll take a shortcut. You say, I'm going up the coastal road because it's a quicker way to get what I want. But sometimes God takes you the long way to protect you and to ensure your success. Another danger is you long for the past. You want to go back to Egypt. And after a while, you begin to think the past looked pretty good. What if I go back to the past? Maybe that'll be better. I love the quote from Ernest Shackleton. He was looking for men to take a great expedition. He said, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages. Already it's appealing, isn't it? Bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, Honor and recognition in case of success. He just needed a handful of men, over a thousand men applied with that job description. Second thing I want you to know is it's not for everyone. The journey's not for everyone. You know, if you look down at verse 18, it says, God led the people. You see, people who can't be led can't go on the journey. God never forces you on the journey. God led people in a different way. God was drawing people in, in his own way, just like God is drawing people to this place by a divine ordering. You see, because our story, Influence Church, is not a story about a destination. It's a story about a journey. It's not a story about a building. It's not a story about a performance, but a pursuit of a dream, a dream that one day there will be a thriving church, a simple church filled with people of all ages, ethnically diverse, filled with the Holy Spirit, worshiping in a place that puts the emphasis on people and not on the building. People on a mission to influence the world for Christ. People who, who understand what it means to go and live out their life by divine appointments. Before we started this church, I was doing a wedding. Actually, the bride and groom are right here. Where are you at, guys? Right here. Wave your hand. Raise your hand. Hi there, Drew. Give him a hand of applause. Let's just clap. I went out to get the marriage license, and there I meet Todd right here on the... Raise your hand, Todd. All right? 
I meet Todd. He goes, what's going on? What are you doing? And I begin to tell him. He doesn't normally go to that golf course. I never go to the golf course unless I'm doing a wedding. A divine appointment. We began to talk. Next thing I know, here's Todd and Blanca at our church. Divine appointments. God works by those kinds of things. I was in Target the other day with my wife, doing some shopping, buying some of the most essential things that we need. Yeah, we were. And I run in to a couple. And we begin to share. We begin to talk there. And only a few days later, I got a call and said, Hey, Pastor, my father passed away. Would you do his funeral? And they're here tonight. It's divine appointments. I don't understand them. You know, if you look into Exodus chapter 12 and verses 35 and 38 there, what you find is that God... Uh, God-led people have some characteristics. Notice in verse 35, back to chapter 12 now, and one of those characteristics are they have an unexpected supply. You know, most churches that start, they start with 12 people in the front room. Or they start with a large crowd and a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank. Well, we started with neither one of those. No money and a bunch of people and not knowing what to do with them. You know, people, it's funny, people come up to me and they'll ask me questions like we've been in business 20 years. You know, when are we going to do this, this, and that? And I go, well, we've only been in business four weeks. Oh, yeah, forgot about that. Good news, we've got our software, we got data, we can now do data entry. Now it's not, you know, write it on a piece of paper and pull the piece of paper out of your pocket and go, here we are. It's exciting. You know, it's really exciting to see people get involved. The other thing you see here is, notice that in verse 36 of chapter 12, people uh, who are God-led, they have the favor of God on them. I mean, we're having so much fun, we're sitting around here swaddling the baby. We're having fun. Also, they have unexpected followers there in verse 37. I mean, the Egyptians are coming. You know, we've had all the Pharaoh stuff we want. We're coming with you. Blood on the doorpost, put some on mine too. Thomas Edison said this, Many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. I don't know about you, but the last thing I want to do is give up too soon and not see what God wants to do. If you could make a choice, if this were really the choices you could make, one is I'm going to live a happy Christian life, predictable, go to church every week, be a better mom, be a better dad, or... I'm going to get caught up in a movement of God where I, one day I'll look back and say, I was there when it happened. If you really got to choose that, what would it be? My heart has long since the day I found Christ as a pre-law student, sitting there reading the Bible thinking, I'm in trouble because everything it said not to do, I'd already done several times. Saying, God, I just want to be a part of a great movement of God. And I don't know when you're going to do it. I've been praying it all my life. I'm thinking, God, hurry up. Let's see some action here. Let's see this movement. I want you to see this third point, and that is when you get on a journey, it will be the most rewarding experience of your life. The most rewarding experience of your life. If you look at verse 20, it says, when they took their journey. you got to personalize the journey. It was their journey. It's your journey. You see, when you get caught up in this movement called influence, there's also this individual journey you take. 
You have to personalize it and say, God, where do I fit in the journey? What are you doing in my life on the journey? Also, you have to live on the edge. Notice what it says there. It says that God took him to the edge of the wilderness. Have you been to the edge lately? I had a friend that, that really was instrumental in kind of bringing me down that, that, that Christ path walk. And he said, you know, you've got to get on the, the borderline of disaster with faith. You've got to say it so when it's not so in order for it to be so. That's his version of Romans 4, where Abraham called those things that are not as though they are. You want to see God come through. Also, you've got to let God go before you. You know what we do most of the time? We come over here, we get something started, we say, God, come over here and bless me. And God's going, I already got something started. Why don't you come over here and join me on mine because it will work. Your deal ain't going to work. No, 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 God, I think if I pray hard enough, work hard enough, if I think hard enough about it, it's going to work. God says, go ahead and try it, and when you get done, come over here and join me in my deal. Isn't it interesting how we always try to get God to join us on our deal? No, just let God do it and, and let him go before you, it says. You know, few things are as beautiful to God as seeing his people serve together in a united effort. He longs for it. He even arranges it. We tend to work hard to avoid it. You know, we like to come in at the last possible second, grab the easiest chair, and then get out of here as fast as we can because what would happen if we'd actually love each other, get to know each other? Why? Something miraculous might unfold. Amen? Amen? Oh, me. Huh? Amen or oh, me. One of the two. We tend to work hard to avoid it, to become kingdom spectators. But no one's ever happy just watching. You ever notice a bunch of guys watching football game? They try, they actually think they know more about the game than the guys playing. They do. They'll say, ah, it's bad throw. What are you thinking? He's sitting there 40 pounds overweight eating on hot dogs, telling the guy that can run, you know, you know the, the 40 yard in, in four seconds what to do. What's that, coach? Get that. Fire the coach. Texting in, fire the coach. Get me another beer. The beer's what got you thinking like that. No one's ever happy just watching. We want to get in the mix. At Influence, we want everyone doing something, setting up chairs, parking cars, shaking hands. If you don't know what to do, just get in the way until someone figures out what to do with you. We need people just to stand in the way sometimes. I was really inspired by a story. of You may know the story. You may know the name, Admiral Joe Fowler. He was a naval architect in World War I and World War II. He retired out of the Navy. He was 54 years of age. Walt Disney went to him and said, you know, you're a great architect. You've built aircraft carriers. You surely can, can build this thing that I've got going here. And he had an idea of something called Disneyland. He said, yeah, I believe I could help you out with that. And so uh, at age 55, he began that process of working with him and even ran operations for three years at Disneyland. Well, you know, a little bit later, Walt came up with another idea. It was called Disney World. So he goes back to his old friend, Admiral Joe Fowler. He's now 71 years of age. He says, i got a big project for you here. I think if we go down here and we can drain this swamp, we're going to buy up all the land, not tell anybody. So we get it for a good price, and you'll go in there and just figure it all out. 
Well, Joe said, you know, if you think I can do it, I'll give it a try. So at 71, he began that process, and he retired from that Disney World gig at 77. Pretty impressive. Well, you know, about 10 years later, Walt came up with another idea. He goes back to his old friend Joe Fowler, who's now 87. Joe, I got this idea for Epcot. Think you could come up here and build Epcot? Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I guess I could. Why not? What else am I going to do at 87? Why, why not just build a theme park? So he goes up and he helps him out. And, you know, finally, finally at age 99, Joe Fowler hung up his T-square. You know, I love that story because it's a story that reminds us there never is a person and there never is a time when you don't have something to give to God. I'll remind you, it was John the Apostle who wrote the book of the Revelation at age 90. And whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're educated or not educated, I want you to know you're in the journey. Mark Twain said this, 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do, by the ones that you have done. So throw off the bow lines. Sail away from the safe harbor. Catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, and discover. You know, there's a scripture that says in, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, now, what can God do? He can do, he's able to do immeasurably more than we all could ever ask or think according to the power, guess what, that works inside of us. Let God work inside of you. Let God do something in you. A couple of life applications. Here's one of them. Look for the divine appointments. They're everywhere. Everywhere you go, there's a divine appointment. I had three today. Three today. I don't know. How'd that happen? I think when you, when you get your spiritual antenna up, God somehow starts to bring those situations to mind. Make yourself available. My favorite quote, and my only quote I know from Lucille Ball is this one. Some of you don't even know who she is. doesn't matter. The quote's still good. I was reading this in the, in the Investor's Daily Business Journal, and I was reading this thing, and it quoted, I thought, what are they quoting Lucille Ball in this business paper? And then I read about all the endeavors she has, all the business she's doing, all the things she's doing, and she made this statement. She said, I found out the more I do, the more I can do. You know, sometimes we look at our life and go, well, I, I don't know what else am I going to do. I can't do, I got, I got no time left. Really? We went about a month without watching any TV. It's amazing how much I can get done. Because, see, one hour TV translates into four hours of distractions, according to studies. One hour, four hours of distraction. You can't get your mind back in the game with just one hour TV for four hours. Hey, I like TV. I'm not, I'm not against TV. I like laying on the couch, calling my wife. She's bringing me a sandwich, saying, baby, what do you need now? She comes over with a big fan, <laughs> drops a grape in my mouth every once in a while. I am king of my domain. You guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? Some of you look bewildered. This is not happening in your home? Ladies, see my wife. She'll tell you all about it. Also, remember this life application. It is the journey that shapes you. 
It is the journey, not the destination. You know, it's really interesting. Let me fast forward and tell you what's going to happen on the end of this journey. End of this journey, they're going to go into the promised land. They're going to build this beautiful temple. It, it probably cost a billion dollars in today's economy. And after a while, you know, they, caught, they started loving their temple more than they loved their God. So here's what God says. You know what? I'm a little sick of the temple. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the Romans in under a guy named Titus, and he's going to burn it to the ground. And then to, to remind you how little I think of that whole concept, I'm going to put a Muslim mosque right on the top of it. Because until you understand that it's about loving God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and it's not the symbol of your religion, it's not the place of your worship, you are the temple of the living God. Glorify God in that temple. Don't worry about don't worry about the destination. Get on the journey. Let God work in you. Let God work through you in a powerful and a mighty way, and you'll be surprised where he'll take you. Let's pray together. Father, as we pray, we are mindfully aware that it is only by you and by your Spirit that we can really thrive in this world. And God, I, I really believe that there are those here today who are trying to get on the journey. They may not know you, Father. They may be walking under some kind of a Christian ethic, but they don't know you. They've never received you as Savior and received you as Lord. And if that happens to be your case, I just want you to, to pray something like this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose again from the dead. I ask you to come into my heart, come into my life, and save me right now, Lord Jesus. If that was your prayer, God answered it. See us afterwards. We'll talk to you more about what that means. As we worship, just, let's just worship him in praise and give him the glory tonight. Let's all stand together. Thank you.